welcome to Studio Live. This is Studio B Live. Thanks for tuning in today for another beekeeping podcast. I'm your host, David Burns, with Long Lane Honeybee Farms, along with my wife, Sherry. And we want to thank you for feeling like you can take us along, whether you're in your car or you're on a trip or something. Got this on your MP3 player. We hope to entertain you and to give you some great news about beekeeping. So we'll make it a little fun and entertaining for you. And so um, we're going to be talking about beekeeping today. Hello, Sherry. Hello, and how is everybody? I always think it's funny to think of people listening to us on their their iPods or those kinds of things, David, because I always always imagine somebody's, you know, they're driving their car or they're riding their bicycle or they're walking out on the treadmill. So mm-hmm. for those of you who are working out, go faster! And for those of you who are in your car... Slow down and watch the road, but have a good day. And for those of you who must be out there, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why, just just hanging out in the house, doing some housework, you know, you're doing a good job and, and keep it up. Yeah, yeah. some are commuting to work. Could you say that? Uh-huh. Flying at 37,000 feet maybe. And, you know, I like to listen to MP3 files when I'm flying because, you know, it's just boring. And I've got some of those heads, headphones that kind of, noise-canceling headphones, you know, so you don't have to listen to the engines of the plane the whole time. So that's fun. So, hey, thanks for making us a part of your listening pleasure today. Well, uh, we are uh, very busy, and again, it seems like every time we do a podcast, we we are always going to get better at doing another one. (laughs) And then our people keep emailing saying, hey, where's another podcast? Yeah, I think last time we said we were making a promise to do it once a week, and I that was like two months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Did we say uh, once a week or once every two months? <laughs> I think it was November. Was it November? Uh, who yeah. cares? Yeah, it was November, but you know, then Thanksgiving came, yeah. and holidays came, and birthdays came, and people got sick, and and then and then of course we had. Um, several holiday specials, and a lot of people took advantage of those holiday specials. Mm -hmm. Kept us busy getting all those orders out before Christmas, and we did great on getting all that out. We had a great Christmas, and I hope you did too. But we had uh, parties, family get-togethers, and I felt like I gained like 30 pounds in December. I'm working it off now, I guess. (laughs) Staying busy, but we did enjoy about a week's worth of non-activity right around the holidays, and that was pretty fun. And uh, got to spend time with grandchildren, and you took you took the grandchildren out a few times to see movies and go to go to McDonald playgrounds, and uh, and we saw a movie the other night. So we've we've had time to kind of catch our breath and relax a little bit. Yeah, it's been very, very nice. But now, now that we're past the holidays, past Thanksgiving and past Christmas, that means da 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 da. It's a new year. We are now in 2011, 
And with New Year's, you know, there's new beginnings and people have new resolutions and uh, all those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, um, my son and I joined up at the Y. Well, the whole family joined up the Y, you know, mainly because he wanted to start um, taking some swim lessons and the little one wants to go swimming and and um, a couple of us work out. I won't say which couple of us do and which couple of us don't, but and uh, it's just been too cold, you know, outside on the country road to go out there and walk and run. So we decided that, you know, we'd just join up at the local Y and then we could start doing our exercising inside. And and David, I'll tell you what, this was uh, January 5th and we walked into that YMCA and it was packed at 10 o'clock in the morning. It was so packed there wasn't even any place to park. And and when I walked in, I, I said to the guy at the desk, I said, is it always this crowded? And he said, well, you know, it's a new year and people have new resolutions to lose weight. And he said, but this will all die off about mid-February. <laughs> <laughs> He'll just be there reading a novel by himself, won't he, in February, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, that that is. It is. Uh, it takes a lot of self-discipline to hold true to the resolutions that we make, doesn't it? It, it is hard. I find myself saying, you know, I'm going to go to bed earlier, and and I don't, and I'm going to re, I'm going to relax more, or, or take more time to watch old, you know, movies and things, and I don't. <laughs> but I think it would be great to do that. But um, I don't know. Um, Exercise, I you know I I see the benefit of exercising, but I don't enjoy it. <laughs> I, don't. <laughs> I don't think anybody does enjoy exercising. Oh my I, there are some people who say that they do, but yeah. oh, I, I enjoy having exercised. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much, but anyway, I started that because I wanted to talk about some of the new things that we got going on here at Long Lane Honeybee Farms, and uh, of course. Some of the new things is new classes that we have this year. Uh And online, you can find those at honeybeesonline.com, and they're right on the first page. They're very easy to access and very easy to to, um, click on and sign up for them. We have got, of course, a regular uh, beginner's classes that we have every single year. We've got one on January the 15th, so that's really soon if you all can sign up for that. And March the 19th. So those are the two basic beginner's classes. So you really want to look into those. And then, of course, but new this year is the two-hour short courses that we have. And we did one on um, December, the first Friday in December. And it was on how to cook with honey. We had so much fun. You know, we had, it was kind of like a little Christmas party in a way, but we made, um, uh, we made firecracker shrimp that's made with honey, and we made an Indonesian curry uh, rice dish, and we made smoothies with honey. And I think people really like the honey uh-huh. smoothies. And uh, we had little cheesecakes made with honey. It was fun. It was good. I think people, I think people yeah. enjoyed that. And then our good friend Angela had come over, and she showed everybody how to make candles that night too so we did those two things oh but even more fun was the honey sampling that we did that night we had about 10 different honeys from all over the place they were from uh, mountains in kentucky and the mountains in north carolina and then the orange blossoms in florida and we even had some international flavors from Mm -hmm. france and germany i believe and people really enjoyed 
tasting all those different honeys. So that class was a lot of fun. And then we've got one coming up uh, this Friday. It's, remember, it's the first Friday of every month from 6 to 8 p.m. That's Central Time. And the one coming up this week is Mead Making with Dr. Frank. And uh, uh, Dr. Frank is uh, a doctor in Champaign, Illinois. He's a pathologist, and he's going to show um, us how to make mead. And then in February, so you've still got plenty of time to sign up for this one, is how to make cream honey. And so we're actually going to make, everyone's going to make a little cream honey and take home with them so that they've got the actual um, product. And so there's a lot of different ones. And you you want, want to test um, test those out. You might want to get on the website and look through those and see what ones sound good to you. But those are that's one thing for the new year that we've got coming up. And something else that we're doing out here next year is we've got a new lumber supplier. And David's really, really picky about the wood that comes in here. Oh, he's so picky. He handpicks each and every single piece of wood that comes out here. So uh, we got a new lumber supplier this year, and so we're hoping that one really works out good for us. And also, you have started blogging at Mother Earth, and you can go online and, and see that. It's at um, Mother Earth, is it MotherEarthNews.com? I think it is, yeah. Well, they can Google Mother Earth News and find their website, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, but um, you can find David's blog on Mother Earth now. And then also we have got a short little, uh, mostly daily little um, newsletter that you can find at the book on BeeSmart. And I have to just get on the website. Our website, of course, is at honeybeesonline.com, and you can look up addresses for those things so that you can get on board and enjoy those with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's keeping us busy. I, I find myself uh, doing a lot of writing on beekeeping, and I'm enjoying it. But, uh, you know, Mother Earth News Editor would really like for me to produce one blog a week, minimal. And uh, that takes a little bit of effort because, you know, with blogs you have to have pictures and everything too. And so then I have our honeybee lessons that I'm writing for, and then... I'm still doing and enjoying the Wildlife Pro Network. I, I podcast for them once a month. So we hope that our uh, listeners can get involved in all the many things that we produce so that you can become a better beekeeper and get to know us a little better, too. Sherry, I've got a, a great quote for you about beekeeping. This is See if you can figure this out. Um, let me get all my thoughts here. I don't, know, I don't have it written down, but I think I've memorized it. Uh, bees make better beekeepers than beekeepers make bees. Do you get it? Bees make better beekeepers than beekeepers make bees. <laughs> yeah, that, that was well said. <laughs> you said exactly what I said. Well, I, I get the idea, but what do you mean bees make better beekeepers? Just because they, they're out there trying and trying to do new things and reading things and looking up things and, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it. Well, probably, but bees make better beekeepers. What that means is that bees are going to do what bees do, 
And no matter what a beekeeper does, for example, if a beekeeper violates bee space, the bees are going to make him a good beekeeper, right? The, the bees are going to say, uh-uh, you violate, if you violate bee space, we'll teach you how to be a good beekeeper because we're going to make, you know, propolis in small areas and connective comb in large areas. If you don't take care of us and give us enough room to expand, we're going to swarm. We will teach you about bees. We'll make you a good beekeeper. We're not good at making good bees. We, we can't make bees do what we want them to. We, we write the books, we read the books, and we say, okay, bees are going to do this. Bees are going If I do that, my bees will do this. No. So bees make better beekeepers than beekeepers make bees. I heard that somewhere, and I thought it was a really cool thing. <laughs> So, we want to help make you the best beekeeper that that you can be. And that's why we offer the writings, the lessons, the blogs, and and this podcast. So, thanks for tuning in. You know, Sherry, one of our seg- segments of our podcast is called Marvelous Mistakes. And uh, we've been trying to get people to own up to mistakes they've made about beekeeping. I've had a couple that have written in. I've only got one today. Um, But uh, marvelous mistakes. And this one comes to us from Tennessee. And I guess I probably shouldn't tell the individual's name because, you know, it's a mistake. They may be embarrassed. Um, But he wrote me and told me, of Oh, it's Magnificent Mistakes. I said Marvelous Mistakes. Magnificent <laughs> Mistakes. Um, he writes in, let's say his name is Robert, and he lives in Tennessee. And it's hard to believe that anybody in my home state of Tennessee makes mistakes. <laughs> he says, Howdy. I can think of three magnificent mistakes that I've done in my beekeeping. Now, keep in mind that I've only been at this for three years. At first... I totally ignored varroa mites. I figured I probably didn't have them. Well, of course, I was wrong. They can really weaken a colony if left unchecked. Well, that's true. I mean, I, I know a lot of beekeepers just assume, you know, I, I don't have a problem because my bees are okay and I probably don't have the varroa mites and I'm not going to worry about it. But that is something that we need to keep in check. Then another thing he says, my first winter, I did not ensure there was enough food going into winter. Yep, next March, I opened them up to take a look and saw lots of little starved bees with their rear ends sticking out of the cells. That was pretty discouraging. Live and learn, as they say. That's a good observation. (laughs) Beekeepers are terrible about that, Sherry. We are just, aren't we just terrible about that? So many hives die because they starve out, and we think they have enough and they don't. All right, and then he says, Finally, I've learned that I must not ignore signs of robbing. In the late fall, robbers can sure cause damage by stealing needed food from a hive. Use those entrance reducers. So Robert brought up some mistakes that we all not only have made, but most of these mistakes we continue to make. We don't keep good enough track of our mites. We we uh, usually don't 
take enough food in the winter with their bees, and then we don't keep uh, we don't keep signs of robbing in check. So that was good. We appreciate that. And if you have some magnificent mistakes that you've made in beekeeping, please email us at david at honeybeesonline.com and we will let the whole world know of your mistakes. <laughs> yeah, but I think you need to tell us how not to make the same mistakes that Robert made. Oh, that's a good idea. Alrighty. Let's do that. Well, first, um, you know, he said he totally ignored Varora mites. It's hard for me to say Varora. Varora. You say it, Sherry. Varora. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not out there in the hive as much as you are, but how would one know that they've got Varroa mites? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, number one, you can see them on the back or backs of bees. They can hide behind the head, you know, and then right right between the head and the thorax, and you can't really see them. Plus, if, unless you have some real good eyesight, they just kind of blend into the bees. You don't you just don't notice it. So you're not going to be able to see them very well. And the only thing that you're going to see on the on the bees is the mother mite, the uh, foundress mite, the female mite. You never see a male mite because they really don't ever make it out of the cell. Um, you can do the uh, screen test where you put something under the hive and do a, uh, a one-day or two-day drop, see how many mites are falling through the screen. Uh, I've spoken to that many times, I think on the podcast, too, that I don't, I don't really trust that. And um, the best method that I have is just simply to open up your, uh, find some areas in your hive where there is sealed drone, um, pupa, and then just open it up and pull them out. I think I've got YouTube videos online where I do that, and and um, I show, you know, there's, I show that, I document there's one, you know, and you can see a little brown speck on a drone and pupa, and the bees are trying to pick it off. So that's usually the best indication because they, they reproduce in the sealed cell on the pupa. So um, if you can kind of take some kind of a survey of your hive and look at the drone pupa before it emerges, and you can say, oh, I've got a bad case of mice. But nonetheless, if you can practice some um, treatments, regardless if you have them or not, that's going to be great. Screen bottom board, put in some green drone comb, trap the mice before they emerge, before the drones emerge, freeze the comb, and then of course you can always use powdered sugar treatments as well. Put a cup of powdered sugar, let it fall between the frames of each uh, deep hive body where the brood is. Repeat that three to six times, three to six weeks in a row, and that will significantly reduce the number of mites. Now, yeah. You say you're supposed to do that as a preventative. Just go ahead and do it regardless yeah. whether you know if you have it or not. Absolutely. Why not? Sure. It's going to reduce the mites anyway, so it'd be good. Um, his second thing was he didn't leave enough food going into winter. Well, that's an easy one. We always say go behind your hive, pick it up, see how heavy it feels. Um, you know, it should weigh about, uh, it should be heavy. I mean, you know how heavy an empty hive is. They're 69 pounds that we ship out. So, you know, you're you're going to be looking for a lot of weight, almost where it's impossible to pick up from just one hand from the back. Sure, but what about those hives that for some reason didn't make hardly any honey this year? Yeah, that's a good question, Sherry. And here's some good advice. You're not going to like it. 
Take your winter losses in the fall. Oh, sure. I mean, you can say, oh, this high is really weak. It's not going to do well. I better start feeding it so you pour, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of sugar at them. You know, you feed them liquid sugar, you know, two to one in the fall, and you think, oh, maybe they'll store it up, build up, be okay. Seriously, I mean, you can buy a package for $89. I think at times I've put $89 worth of sugar on a little small hive, and it didn't make it. Oh, yeah, I know you have. (laughs) So, you know, count your winter losses in the summer. If the thing isn't going to make it, combine it with another hive. I don't really think it's all that advantageous to really try to put a lot of liquid sugar on a little weak hive. Hey, by the way, you know, a, a single bee by itself really can't survive in temperatures that are 45 degrees and below. And neither can a small cluster of bees. We, we think, you know, a lot of people say you can overwinter a small group of bees, but boy, not where we live. They need heat, and the only way to get heat is lots of bees in a hive. So the answer is you've got to have a lot of bees going into winter. That, that hive has got to be extremely populated. Well, what about people who overwinter in little five-frame nukes? Those people... Um, I think those people are a lot more uh, optimistic in their talk than they are the reality of how they're doing it because it's just not going to happen. You're not going to put five, you're not going to put you know a, a small amount of bees in a wooden box and let them go through the winter. It just won't happen in Illinois. Now, if you what a lot of people do, and when they say they overwinter nukes. They don't just keep a five-frame box sitting on a rock out in the field, you know, in the wind. They they put it on top of larger hives with screens so that some of that heat from the larger hive seeps up into the nuke. Or they stack them, they insulate them, they leave them in a cold room. So you're going to have to, they would make it. I mean, if you kept one fed and you kept it 35 to 45 degrees and they didn't have, you know, um, other health problems, then sure, they'd make it. But I guarantee you, to take it from someone who's done the studies and the test, uh, you know, you get down to zero degrees with a five-frame nook with 5,000, 2,000 bees in there, they're not going to make it. Yeah, we have an acquaintance, and I've seen pictures of his bee yard, and he does have all these nooks all stacked up on top of each other, so they're all... Mm-hmm. It, you're right. It's not just if you put one little box out there in the middle of the cornfield, mm-hmm. it's not going to make it. Uh, n- no. I mean, if it does, then they, they probably had a lot more bees in there than you thought they did. Bees need numbers to stay warm, and uh, that's that's important. Strong colonies, big colonies always. That's what we find. The larger the population going into winter, the better they'll do. The smaller, the more struggle it is. And then Robert said he had robbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's um, oftentimes the result of the race of bees that you keep. The uh, Italians are robbers. And if you keep all Italians, expect robbing. Now, robbers are bees that will, are they're, they're, uh, they capitalize, they're entrepreneurs. What's the other word I'm thinking of? Uh, Mm, they really go out and find the best nectar source around, the shortest distance, and so forth. And so they find they'll find a weak hive, a small hive, and they'll overpower it. 
they they can detect if it's got you know nectar and honey stored and they'll just overpower it. So the best thing that you can do this is always the time of the dearth and and we see that in Illinois, Sherry. I don't know when it starts, maybe September, September. October, yeah. And you know yellow jackets are searching everything and bees are scouring them for anything that can show up, you know. Um, and so during that time, it is good to reduce the entrance down to the smallest entrance opening and let, and let the bees have less area to protect in their hive, and they can, they can keep their robbers out. That's about the best thing that you can do. Although I do this, and it works well for me, and I've seen books and other people say it's not the best thing to do, but it works perfect for me. I take entrance feeders, like you use in the spring with the mason jars, I put them about 50 to 100 feet away from hives on a big piece of plywood, and I'll put five or six of these jars filled with uh, two-to-one sugar water. And you know what? That stops robbing because the bees find all that available sugar source, and it's so easy to get to. They don't have to fight other bees for it, but they don't go looking in the other hives. They're just desperately trying to empty out these um, open feeders of 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 sugar. So that works really well for me. Some people say that will entice robbing, but it has not for me yet. So <laughs> working good for me. Good. Do you have any other magnificent mistakes you're going to share with us? Me personally? Oh, no, I don't actually. Okay. No, that was, I just got Roberts and uh and uh yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that we should we should say how the I think Robert mentioned too what he has learned, you know. Here's a question, Sherry. Uh not sure where this person lives. His name is Ken. He said, It has become evident to me that one hive is too close to my pond. Winter humidity is potentially an issue, and I have a better location for it next summer. Can I move this hive? I anticipate the temperatures will rise to about 10 degrees above freezing next week. Well, he's up north somewhere. And I expect cleansing flights. Is it safe to move my girls right now? Thanks for your input, newbie keeper. And then he says, Shirley, Happy New Year. Maybe he maybe he thinks your name is Shirley, <laughs> Sherry. Mm-hmm. Shirley, Happy New Year's. I would come to your workshops if I was within reasonable distance. Thanks for all you and your family's work toward our precious bees. It is raining and three degrees above freezing on the 49th parallel west coast today. Ah, okay. Yeah, it always confuses me when he says three degrees because that's Celsius, I guess. Because if it rains at three degrees here, <laughs> wow. I mean, it's catastrophic if that's Fahrenheit. So he must be, what? I don't know where the 49th parallel is. <laughs> need to memorize my parallels. Okay, so, yeah, move those hives now. When it's cold and they're not flying, and if they're kind of going through their winter cluster, uh, I don't have I, I don't have any problem moving them. When they fly out, they seem to find out you know exactly where to go back to the hive. When you move hives, though, even in the winter time, make sure you screen them up and make sure the thing doesn't fall apart on you. Because just because you don't see them, fl- see them flying around, as soon as you make a mistake, you will see them flying around and they will be mad. They'll be very disappointed in you disturbing them.
You want to read this one? This is from Tim, and I think, yeah, I think Tim has um, spoken to us before, and I think he's a, I think he's one of the 16 Studio B Live podcast listeners. <laughs> okay, it says, hi, Burns family. Nice to talk to you again. 90 lessons in your blog on what I hope they have been. I hear that a lot. I hear every day people will say, oh, I just really enjoy your lessons, and I'm at number 36, or I'm at... It's 56. I only wish I could have gotten my supplies from you. Ah! But me being Canadian, it's not that easy to do. Oh, that's true. That's true. Do we ship to Canada? We don't like to, do we? It's just so many formalities. Well, we can, but it costs so much. Yeah. So, kind of weird how I trust you like that, but never actually met you. (laughs) Kind of weird that he trusts you. That's funny. I hope to meet you in person one day. I'm not sure if you got my email or remembered it. I had mentioned that after I got two hives and assembled ten frames in a super, there was a gap in between the last frame and the wall, not big enough to put another frame in, but still big enough that the bees would probably do something funky with it. How do I space these frames out? Well, you know, not knowing where he got his hives and the fact that he had to assemble it together um, puts yeah. a big question mark in my mind. But, right, yeah. But anyway, that... Um, to, to continue it, also my kind auntie that lives in Pennsylvania got me a book about bees. Sadly, it was written in the UK first, so the terminology is off. It says in the book that the national hive, okay, so it's bottom bee space. That is to say that the bee space is on the bottom of the frames, and that Langstroth hive is top bee space. But when I look at my hives that I got, the bee space is at the bottom, and the frames are almost level with the top of the super. And it looks nothing like a national hive. So I'm wondering whether or not I got the Langstroth hive or a different type. And all those questions are not answerable. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're doing this late at night and we want to go to bed? <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you know. No, they are answerable. Yeah, I'll answer it. Yeah, I'll answer it. Unless we see a picture of it. No, I know, I know, but I'm in manufacturing a beehive, so I know exactly what he's talking about. Wow. Oh, yeah, you, you, you know, we spent years debating, David, my son, and I spent years debating on top space, bottom space. Oh, yeah, that's that's important when you're out there. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, David's going to answer this question, and so <laughs> you all listen up really carefully, because if you if you call in, I'll probably just say to you, I don't know where you got that hive, but you'll have to talk to whoever you got that hive from. So That's here, true, yeah. so here is David an- answering the answering the question for you about bee space. But but really, if you you know, if we haven't manufactured it, we have no idea you know what it is that you're looking at or what you're talking about. So yeah, we should say if people write in or call in and say, "Hey, I bought this hive off of this." other place and it doesn't look right i don't know how to work it then we should say you know what why don't you burn that and buy one from us and we because we don't know what to tell you and sometimes uh you know if you buy them off people that may not be into beekeeping you got a friend build it for you they could mess up you know bee space oh, people have told stories about how badly they're messed up and, and they look perfectly fine right. but they just don't realize you've got to have the dimensions yeah um, more uniform than that, but we just, you know, there's people, 
out there that may be doing things differently. We just cannot tell you, you know, right. what's going yeah, on. But but we'll listen to the answer here. Okay. Well, Tim, you absolutely do have a standard Langstroth dimension hive by your description of it. When you said the space was at the bottom and there the frames were almost level at the top, that's that's what we would typically call a Langstroth hive. Um, but let me answer your question about the frames. You said 10 frames, and looks like there's enough, almost enough space for an 11th one. Yep, that's the Langstroth hive, and that's very common. That's so we can move the frames around easily, have space, a little wiggle room. Um, no, there's not enough room for that 11th frame. And actually, what you want to do, on all of you listeners, pay close attention. Push all your frames together, keep them tight, and in the middle. You can almost put your fingers, my fingers are kind of big, but when you do this, you know, your hands are against both walls, one wall each hand, and you push them toward the middle, and you can almost get your hand in between the, that frame by the wall and the wall itself. So just shove them to the middle. Um, and that is a good point about top and bottom spacing. Um, your hive... Is um, and he sent me pictures, by the way, Sherry. And I, I, yeah. So he did, you know, he did help me out by the pictures. But I, I could tell by the pictures that it was a standard Langstroth hive. And that's, he, in fact, we make ours identical to the one in his picture, with a slight spacing at the top. The frames are the top of the frames are just below the top, um, and that's what we call a Langstroth hive. A national hive is bottom spacing, but he is right. It, it appears in this, you know, equation that the Langstroth hive has a bottom spacing as well. And so there are people who make Langstroth hives with top space and bottom space. And just like the one he has and just like the ones we make, we kind of do a little bit of both. A little bit of space at the top, but mostly the space is at the bottom. Because when you put your two bodies together, the bottom of the top frame to the distance of the top. Well, I'm going to say that differently. <laughs> Let me see if I can say it in a way that's understandable. Like if you have two deep high bodies that are on top of each other, the bottom of the top frame and the top of the bottom frame have to be three-eighths of an inch. And so when you put them together, you have to go B spacing. And so we, we, we combine a little bit of the a little bit at the top and a lot at the bottom, and that makes a three-eight gap between the frames when they're stacked together. Most people, all I think, all people that make you know hives today do it that way. Um, but the national hive that he's talking about is the spacing at the bottom. He mentioned about the inner cover, and I think I oh, didn't. Oh, also the inner cover. Is the inner cover supposed to have B space on both sides? All. I had always thought it was just on one side. Yeah, you don't need B space on both sides of the inner cover. I, I believe, my opinion is, that B, the inner cover should be, since we're making space on the top, it should be flat on the box on one side. And then the rail is, is on the top of the inner cover, and that's what the top cover sits on. I'm sorry if that's confusing for people that maybe don't know what I'm talking about, but... Somebody's sitting there thinking, yeah, I know what he's talking about. There's no reason to have a rail on the bottom and a rail on the top. Just put it on the top. All right. Well, that's interesting about national highs. And yeah, maybe it's high. a more uh, U.K. thing that they do with that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that was good. So, hey, good to see you, Tim, and uh, stay in touch. Good to talk to you. I don't. I mean, Tim told us where he lived, but I don't remember. I can't remember anymore. <laughs> hey, this is good. Let's do this one. Sure. You want to read that one? Um, I was wondering how do I get your newsletter? I yeah, enjoy this is from Janice. To podcast. And uh, we we talked already about getting the be smart. Yep. And I thought I would give these links. You know, the lessons. Uh, she was wondering how she signs up for them to come to her inbox. But you can go to basicbeekeeping.blogspot.com, and at the top right side, you'll see a place where you can enter your email and sign up for that newsletter. Bee Smart is another newsletter we do, and you can go to honeybeesonline slash easy.html, and you can sign up for that as well. Remember Grant that we we uh, enjoyed being with. He's the uh, I think he's the president of the of the Missouri Beekeeping Association. He writes and says sometimes in your course of your correspondence, when nothing special is going on, how about sharing how you became an EAS certified master beekeeper? How did you prepare? What kind of testing did it require, etc.? I'd love to do that. I'd, I'd love talking about that. So I'll I'll keep that in mind. And I've had several people. Mentioned that they want to become, you know, they were like, how do I become a master beekeeper too? Now, Dean wrote me and he said, I found your website while searching on the internet for some bee help. Maybe you can help. I just went out to check my bees and found a large number of dead bees and what appears to be something that looks like sawdust mixed in with the bees. This is my first winter with the bees and I'm afraid they're not going to make it. What do you think's going on? We love to diagnose these things. People send us pictures. Remember last week we were diagnosing the uh, um, crystallized honey in the comb and that was a lot of fun. Um, I don't know what to think about his sawdust mixed in with his dead bees. Any idea, Sherry? Maybe it's sawdust. <laughs> what would bees be doing with sawdust don't in the you, winter? Don't you remember all the bees all over our sawdust yeah. in the wintertime? It's like they, I don't know if they were looking for moisture through it or they thought it was pollen or what they thought it was. But do you remember them I all I do remember there? that. Oh, yeah. I had to cover it up. They were just going crazy on it. But, you know, I do know that bees love to get moisture out of sawdust. Is that what you just said? <laughs> but these bees, that one year, they were kind of carrying it off. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I want to take some of this back to the hive. Well, I don't know where he lives. I mean, if he's in the deep south and he lives near a wood mill, that could be what's going on. But since it's cold, he said it's winter, and the, they're not. he's afraid they're not going to make it. Um, there's dead bees already. Dead bees in the winter is common. You know, Sherry, they're just... They're just cleaning out their hive, throwing the dead bees out. That's real common. Don't worry that if you see a lot of dead bees in the snow outside in the front of your hive, that's a healthy hive that's taking the dead ones out. What may be the mixture of sawdust could be drop little specks of wax, maybe, where they're opening up stored uh, honey. They're opening up the wax cappings, and it just happens to be sticking to the bees and you know, they can't clean it out as much because it's not real warm to make flights. Uh, um, hmm. Are there any, everything, else, everything else would be speculation, you know. 
It could have been robbed in the fall and a little bit, and some of that, uh, those when they rob, they tear open the and just drop wax on the bottom, and the dead bees might have fallen amongst all that little particle of wax, and then when they cleaned it out, they took all that out. So I don't think it's a big issue here. I think this hive's going to be okay. All right. <laughs> Do you think I should read that one? It's long, isn't it? Let's read the short one first. I don't know the answer to this one, Sherry. I'm sorry. Hi, David. To help my peach trees by painting their trunks with lime. Did I read that right? Mm -hmm. Would I be bringing harm potential to my honeybees? Painting their trunks with lime. Now, when he first said that, I thought he meant like taking limes and cutting them in half <laughs> and putting them in a paint bowl and getting a brush and painting lime juice on the tree. But then I realized... Maybe he just means he's painting them green. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe he does, painting them lime. I, but then I thought he must be mixing that lime powder. He must be painting yeah. lime powder on it. I have lime all over the place. Yeah, I've got lime in my chicken coop, and then when I take it out of my chicken coop, it ends up in my garden, and I've not seen any... I've not seen any problems with it. I could see if it's on there really thick, though, that they might think they're going to land on it and, and test it out and see what it is. So I, that might need some a little bit more looking into, yeah. probably. But like I said, I've got it all over the place here. Now, he said peach trees, and bees do uh, go for pollen and nectar on peach trees, but... Maybe bees wouldn't be on the tree itself. You know, I wouldn't worry about it too much because uh, I guess, you know, bees are going to go for uh, gather propolis off of dripping sap out of trees. But uh, in this case, they're probably just going to go to the flowers on the peach tree. Very few bees would go on the lime. And we would have to uh, talk to a chemist or somebody who's done the research on you know, what if they did go to the lime powder and pack it up as pollen and take it back and feed it to bees? You know, how harmful would it be? Certainly, I don't think it has the uh, toxicity of of a um, insecticide, I wouldn't think. No. No. And, and Dale and everybody else who is going to start looking at uh, having to do different things to take care of their their gardens and their yeah. fruit trees and their berry bushes and all those kinds of things. And and I know that there's a lot of harm that can come to that sort of stuff, but you really need to really go into completely organic stuff, whatever you're using. And any time you get any kind of chemical, anything in a bottle, any kind of dust that you're using you need to check with the manufacturer and yeah, see what true. does this do to honeybees. And a lot of people are, are putting it on the bottle now. Not, you know, will will not harm honeybees or, you know, you, but you you've got to start looking that stuff up. And it's 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 easier probably to go to the to the manufacturer and and find out what kinds of things are harmful to the different kind of beneficial insects because it's just not honeybees. We don't want to kill. There's lots of beneficial insects out there in the garden that we don't want to kill, as well as honeybees. So, 
Um, any of you guys gardening with any of those kinds of things, fruit trees, berry bushes, or gardens, you, you need to not buy anything until you have checked with the manufacturer and asked them how does this affect honeybees and beneficial insects. Yeah, like if you're going to use 7, you should use liquid 7, not powdered 7. Because powder 7 looks like pollen, and they do take that back to the hive and wipe the hive out. Well, and, and Dave and I disagree on that because, to me, I think a, a liquid 7 is going to be a very systemic type of thing going into your plant. And, I, you know, I think that's going to still be harmful. So yeah. we disagree. Well, we we agree that all anything with the word ending in side <laughs> is not good, <laughs> whether it's liquid or powder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that means death. death. Yeah, <laughs> right. So yeah. you, have to, you have to really... Yeah, let's, I mean, think about, look, you're going to kill Japanese beetles, you're going to kill honeybees. Seriously. If, if it kills a Japanese beetle, it's quite capable and will kill a honeybee as well. So, you know, to take seven and dump it on your trees, especially fruit trees that bees are visiting, the, the honeybees are going to suffer. And people don't realize that, even if you don't have honeybees. I mean, my bees are going to go sit on your tree and eat that seven and come back dead. They may not come back. That might be, you know, sadly, that might be a plus. They may not make it back with a poison. But if they do make it back with a powdered poison, see, if they, I think if they got in contact with liquid, they would die on the way back. But if they pack powder, they're just going to pack it in the hive. That's where I was coming from. Well, this is an interesting email. It's kind of lengthy. And uh, let's see. Well, well, we'll probably have to close with this email because we're, we're at 40-something minutes now. I'm, yeah, I tried to do what you're thinking about, picking out some <laughs> points. But anyway, uh, this is a good email from Scott. And uh, let me see if I can summarize it. Scott is a second season beekeeper, and he's trying to read everything and get his hands on, but he noticed he can't really find a lot of information that's in great detail about what to do during that second year. And, um, for example, he says... You know, um, he needs something that shows proper progression um, that's called spring buildup. What's going to be required of me that second year when I come out of winter? What's the proper management rules for the second season beekeepers? And, you know, how do we deal with uh, that second year hive? He's petitioning me. He says, can you please write something that addresses all of these questions in a cohesive, easy-to-understand article, some sort of flow chart, some kind of diagram format where you know the hobbyist can know what to do that second year and um, the second season. I think I've done that, but maybe he wants more detail. And I'll, I told him I would do that. I told him I would write some articles. I would put that in Mother Earth News. That'd be great, you know, to put some information. Whoops! I dropped the microphone. Put some information uh, together that helps second-year beekeepers. But is there really that much difference? I mean, what you do the first year isn't a lot different than what you do the second year. You put bees in a box and hope they make it. <laughs> but I understand what he's saying. But what Scott may, and I'm not sure if he's a podcast listener, but what he may not realize is that if I gave him, you know, this step-by-step at 8 o'clock, you know, walk outside and lift the top up and hold it off until 8.06, you know, all that stuff doesn't guarantee 
anything. It doesn't. It doesn't guarantee you're not going to have mites. It doesn't guarantee they're going to bring in the proper amount of pollen and honey. It doesn't guarantee the queen won't die. So even if I gave him a detailed list of how to do everything perfectly his second year, we're still under the same um, situation as we are the first year. We're dealing with livestock. We do the best we can. Um, the only thing different about a second year hive is their comb's all drawn out. And they're more likely to swarm because the first year they're not because they have enough room. They're Usually they have enough room and they, they're building comb so they don't really think about swarming. Second year hive could be swarming. So he he mentions that, that he wants some he wants to keep his bees from swarming. What do you do? And again, you know, all of us seasoned beekeepers are like, <laughs> you do everything you can, those things will still swarm on you, you know. But I'll put the, I'll put together some info. I'll do some I'll do some digging and get some good stuff going for Scott. I told him I would, and he emailed a bunch of his friends and told them to look for these articles I'll be writing about second year hives. That was a good amount of emails, Sherry. Yep, just everybody needs to have a good new year. And remember, you need to get your package B orders in. We've got um, almost half of our inventory sold out already, and it's just the 1st of January. So if you're planning on getting bees, you need to get yourself in line and uh, get ready for another good season coming up. Yep, that's right. Okay, well, that's it. That's Studio B Live. Take number 10,433, we wish. Not quite that many yet, but we'll keep producing podcasts for you to enjoy. And uh, it's been fun. Thanks for coming around the kitchen table with uh, me and Sherry to talk about beekeeping. Here's some contact information. Call us at 217-427-2678 if you need to place an order for hives, beekeeping equipment, packages, nooks, queens, whatever you need to do, 217-427-2678. Or check us out online at honeybeesonline.com or email us at david at honeybeesonline.com. Been good talking to you. Until next time. Remember to behave yourself.